Parish. It's Friday, September 30th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. and got a lot of things we want to get to, but I wanted to start with uh, a headline that was generated last night by the Virginia men's basketball team. Took a team picture, every player on the team, on a knee, in a clear nod to Colin Kaepernick's protest. Other teams have done uh, similar things, but no men's college basketball team to date has done something like this. Taking a knee, taking a picture, Tweeted to the world with the words "Kneel for Equality." What What do you make of this, Norlander? Is this um, Is this just kids getting caught up in the moment? Uh, is the real meaning behind it? And do you think they'll actually do something similar, or any team will do something similar as a team uh, during a national anthem once this college basketball season actually gets underway? Well, we're going nice and loaded to start this podcast. Um... I was, I'll say I was surprised that Virginia did this, Um, you know, just because, uh, you know, one, I mean, Tony Bennett just does not seem like the coach that would be um, wanting necessarily his guys to put something out there. Not that he would refrain from them doing it. I just wouldn't expect this would have been the team that would have done it first. Would the argument, let me, let me stop you for a second. Would the argument in favor of Virginia doing this be it? they're, They're probably smarter than your average students. You know, they're yeah. probably more plugged into what's happening in this country right now. And so perhaps that's the explanation. Yeah, I mean, Virginia is considered uh, like a top 10 public university. So, yeah, and it's very academically, it's it's not an easy place to get into. So, yeah, there is an argument for that as well. Um, I am interested to see what happens here going forward. I mean, Nigel Hayes has spoken out on some racial issues as well with Wisconsin. They don't expect that to slow down at all. Um I, it's going to be – all right, so here's the thing. So we're going to have the NBA season start before college hoop season starts. So You're exactly I, right, by the way. If you're about to say what I think, they're going to follow the NBA's lead. Kids will. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that will happen. Now, it's also – let's take into um, account when football does it, when football players do it, um, you know, there are 100 to 150 people on a sideline in a big open space yep. in a stadium with a lot of space between them and even the first row of fans. Basketball is an enclosed area with, you know, 17, 18 people total on a bench. Um, it's a much more intimate setting for a national anthem. Also in football, when you're taking a knee, um, you know, you're kind of you're kind of there on the on the turf. There's something I don't know to me. There's something that's different about taking a knee right there on the hardwood. Um, as a team, I tell you, it would be a hell of a statement. I don't expect it could happen. I'm not. I I don't expect a full NBA team to do it. Uh, if it did, then I absolutely think that we would have some college teams follow suit. There will definitely be critics of this that say these kids are merely just following a trend. I don't want to say that because I think that is disingenuous and not giving the kids enough credit, especially black kids who honestly we have not lived in their shoes. We're a couple of white guys and had, you know, generally speaking, uh, pretty, you know, relatively painless childhoods when it comes to societal issues in that regard. So I'm not going to say that what these guys are doing is simply something to put up on Twitter for a picture to get attention. I don't think that's it at all. I will also say this. I've had two before this happened. I had two coaches at programs tell me within the past two weeks 
that their students, both programs, they had players on their own bring up these issues and have debated what they want to do to show some support. We don't have answers for in terms of what that might be yet, but this is clearly something that is not losing steam. Colin Kaepernick has ignited a movement and it's angering a lot of people. Um, but I definitely support these players' rights to do all of this. And this is something, I mean, the season still, we're actually recording this the day that practices can start. We're 40 days from the start of the season. So there are hundreds of programs around the country today that are actually formally able to practice uh, for the first time in earnest. So what I'm getting at here, GP, in this really long-winded answer, which I didn't know you were going to ask me, by the way, so that's kind of why I'm rambling. But I, I wonder what the climate will be like on November 11th when the season starts. By the way, that is Veterans Day. Mm. So will we see anything on the first night of the season? Not sure. After that, how many teams, how many players? Because it's, it's an interesting situation. I'll leave you with this. I don't know if you've seen this or not. And I don't know when Buzz did this. but um, I saw it. At, yeah, and but I had like a few of my friends share it like crazy in the aftermath of the Kaepernick thing. So people that are listening, if you have a Facebook account or maybe it's been shared on Twitter, at some point Buzz Williams brought his team uh, in and showed them how they're to stand and respect the national anthem because of what men and women have done to fight for the country. So Virginia Tech is not – I'm not thinking Virginia Tech is going to be one of the teams that's doing this. Um, so you also had that aspect of it as well. Like what coaches won't stand for this? They don't want – they don't want it at all, and I'm, I'm not going to say that those coaches might be repressing their players' voices, but I could definitely see situations where you have a lot of guys that, frankly, don't want this. They don't want the distraction. They don't want to be talking about it with the media. They would rather their players find other ways to voice their opinion than to have four out of 13 guys on scholarship kneel down to start a game. So my initial reaction when the Kaepernick uh, stuff started, and it is amazing, like in a in a – 24-7 news cycle that, you know, basically eats up stories and spits them out inside of about 36 to 48 hours. It has been uh, over a month now, and we're, you know, it is still generating legitimate national headlines. Like, it's a it's a testament to, to A, what he's been able to do, and B, um, it's proof that, uh, you know, that, that this – I still hear people every day say – I agree with the message, or I agree with the conversation he's trying to start, but I don't agree with how he's doing it. Well, well, the reason this has lasted so long, and the reason that it's it's been able to to reach um, all the people it's reached, is because of the way he's doing it. You know, kneeling but uh, during the national anthem is what got everybody's attention. And then I don't know if he's the smartest guy in the world, but he brilliantly was able to. Uh, focus his message, explain. If you listen, if you take the time to listen, there are some people who just don't even take the time to listen. But if you take the time to listen, he he's done a masterful job of focusing his message and explaining exactly what this is about from his perspective and exactly what it's not about from his perspective. And, uh, you know, here we are all these days later, September 30th, and we're still talking about this. And the reason we're talking about it here is because of the Virginia men's basketball team last night. So uh, when this first started to become a thing, and I was hesitant to call it a movement at first, but I think it's uh, quite clearly a movement now. I made a round of phone calls to shot some text messages to some coaches, college basketball coaches, some white, some black, 
And I just said, hey, how are you going to handle this? If this is still going on when basketball season starts, how are you going to handle this? And I asked it that way because I wasn't sure it was still going to be a thing once basketball season started. Now it seems like, yeah, it's going to be a thing when, co- when basketball season starts. First the NBA and then college basketball. So I said, how are you going to handle this? And like two coaches said, absolutely not. My players will not take a knee during the national anthem. It will not be allowed. I had a couple other coaches say I'd, I'd sit down and and I talk to my players and I I want to I want to hear them explain why they're doing what they're doing. I don't want them just do it because they saw somebody else do it. Like, okay, what is this about to you? Why do you want to do this? What message do you think it's going to send? And then if they had good answers and smart answers, and I thought they were being, um, you know, intelligent about about what they were doing, then I I would probably allow it. I had some other coaches tell me, um, they didn't want to tell their players no, but they would say, hey, listen, let's not make a big scene. If you want to not be out for the national anthem, stay in the locker room. I'll allow you to do that, but I don't want you on the hardwood taking a knee because you're exactly right. If you look down at a football field during you know, the national anthem, there might really be 200 and something people on that field. You got cameramen, you got sideline reporters, you got trainers and doctors and players and coaches and uh, cheerleaders and just a b- billion people down there. It's kind of easy to blend in. College basketball game, national anthem. You know, you got two teams looking at each other in a in a in a relatively small arena, like uh, on a really relatively small surface. Like you ain't blending in. You take a knee, it's going to be very, very, very noticeable, especially if an entire basketball team, particularly a high profile one, uh, takes a knee. So my initial thought was that either this wouldn't be a thing. Or if it would be a thing, coaches would try to squash it because college coaches have so much more control over their players than pro coaches do. Like Chip Kelly can't really sit there and tell Colin Kaepernick what to do and not to do. Like he's a grown man. Um, like you, you or, or at least let me rephrase. Pro coaches don't typically get involved in that. Um, college coaches tell their players what time to eat, what time to wake up, what time to study, what time to be home. Like, they have complete control over what their players do, and I thought this would just be an extension of it. But more and more what I'm hearing now is, because this has become such a movement, um, and you saw what happened to the Nebraska booster. Was it a Nebraska booster earlier this week? Who was heavily critical of a Nebraska football player uh, for taking a knee during the national anthem or protesting in some way. And the president at Nebraska, the chancellor, uh, came out and said, no, 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 no. If our players want to do that, we were going to respect their right to do that, and we, they will be punished in no way whatsoever. My point being, I think coaches are now realizing, it. even if you disagree with all of it, you cannot be the coach who tells your players not to be involved in this. More specifically, you can't be the white coach who tells your African-American players not to be involved in this. And so I bet you're right, Tony Bennett, because that was one of the first things I thought of last night, too. Wow, this isn't just a basketball team, and it's not just Virginia's basketball team. It's Tony Bennett's basketball team. And I don't know much about Tony's politics, but I don't know if this is something Tony would have wanted. Um, but I bet Tony is smart enough to know if you, you can't stand in the way of your players. Not right now. Not, not with this. And so I don't know that he signed off on it. In fact, I should call him and find out. But... Um, I think coaches now are probably reached the point where they know if, if our players want to do something, as long as it's respectful, you know, not, not cause a disturbance, but just quietly and peacefully take a knee during the national anthem, 
to bring awareness to an issue that is important in this country, I'm going to be okay with it. I bet you most college basketball coaches at this point, maybe not most, but a lot, are going to be okay with it. Uh, I think so. I, I mean, if only because it puts you in a bad spot if you're not okay with yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Once, exactly. Once that, Greg Popovich has come out and, and said, I support this, here's why. Steve Kerr has come out and said, I support this, here's why. And here's why. Chip Kelly has come out and gotten Colin Kaepernick's back in a, in a pretty. Uh, uh, public and impressive way. Like once those other coaches have said, no, 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 I want my players to do whatever they want to do as long as it's respectful and well thought out. I don't know if you can be the college coach who's, who tries to, to go the other direction with this. You're right. We'll see what happens with that. Um, man, I'm, if that does ha- I mean, if it does happen and we do have multiple players or if we have full on teams, I mean, if we get, three or four ranked teams that do this, it will certainly become a predominant headline to start uh, college basketball season. And by the way, there are plenty of good games to start the season. This That will overshadow it to a certain degree. I actually posted on the 50 best non-conference games uh, on the site this week. So if you haven't looked at that, you can see that we have plenty of really good games in that first week of the season. But for example, like the Champions Classic is in New York this year. Uh, I'm going to it. And I tell you what, uh, if you know, if Michigan State's bench decides to kneel, or Kansas decides to kneel, uh, or Duke, or Kentucky, or any of them, or all of them, I mean, can you imagine that? If all four, at just at the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden, that's at the apex of the 24-hour marathon. It really that we have a really good Friday to start the season this year, but Tuesday is always considered when people really just notice college basketball has started because that 24-hour marathon brings a lot of big games. But if that happened at that point. I mean, it'd be a massive story. So we'll see what happens. Again, though, let's remember that the NBA starts basically a week and a half before college basketball does. So certainly I think we'll have some players taking some stands. LeBron James has already said that he will not kneel during the anthem. We'll see who else might or might not do that and uh, where college reacts. With well, them. preseason NBA actually gets started tomorrow, Saturday night. And so, by the way, it's this. I cannot believe that, dude. The NBA season is too freaking long. I cannot believe preseason starts already. I know. But, yeah, no. They got like training cramp started earlier this week, and game, the preseason games start tomorrow. So we might have stuff. Yeah, we might have stuff happening here in the preseason, so we'll see some immediate. Effects. And I That's bet, I bet, I bet you will see college basketball players follow NBA players' lead, the same way they do in every other thing. Like you know, a guy puts on a shooting sleeve, then college players got to wear shooting sleeves. Um, you know, guy wears a headband, now college players got to wear a headband. So whatever you see happen in the NBA. I think is what you're going to see happen also in college basketball. Let's move on. There is some uh, college basketball news, actual news this week. George Washington promoted an interim coach. One of their assistants, Maurice Joseph, has now got the job. Um, They didn't give it to their associate head coach. That was interesting, huh? Yeah. um, Listen, the George Washington stuff has been just a cluster. You know, the Washington Post had a story when we were in Vegas, I believe is when the story broke, um, that Mike Lonergan had basically, you know, verbally abused some of his players and had said some inappropriate things about a number of people, including his athletic director. That prompted an independent investigation wherein basically everyone within the athletic department uh, inside and outside the basketball team was interviewed. And George Washington actually had a foreign trip over to, I believe it was Japan this summer. Uh, they came back from that. They had more interviews and the university concluded that there was enough information and allegations and corroborations within those interviews to warrant dismissing Lonergan from his contract. Now, Lonergan fights this 
His legal team basically says George Washington has uh, a certain protocol that has to be cleared when you're doing this, and a few steps were skipped. Lonergan was not given uh, a proper hearing and all this stuff. So it's gonna I, there's going to be a legal battle, uh, fight for money and all of that. Lonergan is now into his 50s. Will he ever be a head coach again? I don't know. Um, he had some success in Vermont. He took George Washington to the tournament one time in five seasons there. His associate head coach is or was Hodge Turner. Now, Hodge Turner had been with him dating back to his Vermont days for more than a decade. It's very unusual for an associate head coach to not be named an interim coach in this kind of situation, but I'm basically told, you know, Turner's deep ties to Lonergan, it's just not a good look. I will say, though, that Maurice Joseph, who is the youngest person on the staff, that's a guy who started his career at Michigan State but then transferred to play for Lonergan at Vermont and then has been with George Washington first as you know, a low-level um, staffer before becoming an assistant three years ago. So he's not exactly unattached from Lonergan either. Uh, barring George Washington winning 26 games and going to the Sweet 16, he's not going to be their coach anyway. It's, it's you know, it's a seven-month kind of thing there. Um, they will certainly look to hire uh, a new guy come March or April. Um, but the, the staff is still on. The question is, will Hodge Turner stay on the staff? Because... It's an interesting situation, GP, because when you're the associate head coach and you don't get the job, it doesn't look good. But does it then not? Does it look even worse, or does it help? Or, or are you doing the right thing if you want to leave the staff? I don't know what he's going to do. To well, be honest, I, I would say just from a you know practical, normal human being perspective, like you know, assistant coaches, you know, outside of Kenny Payne <laughs> and guys like Kenny Payne, they ain't rich. You know, like, I mean, they, they make good money, but they ain't rich. And so my um, guess would be even if you feel like you were wronged, even if you feel like you got passed over, even if you're pissed off about what just happened, you probably got a mortgage to pay. This is a weird time to try to get a job in college basketball. So you probably just stick it out, get to March, and then try to bounce to a new staff uh, if you can. But probably just ride this thing right out right now, if only because, um, the, the, you know, the paychecks matter. Yeah, I'm told that this decision to hire Maurice Joseph was made because the provost, who's not exactly, you know, a guy that's totally connected <laughs> with the with the sports aspect of his university, uh, he picked Maurice Joseph because he thought it was the best choice among the three. And the, really, the assistants were the only people considered for this interim job. He was the best choice between those two. And then uh, Cara Massariello was another uh, assistant that was also they were all interviewed for it. But. By hiring Mojo, you'd have the best chance of keeping all the assistants on and keeping the team together, not losing guys to transfer. It is important to note that George Washington actually has a player that I think is a top 50 player in the sport, and Tyler Cavanaugh, who had an opportunity to transfer and opted not to do this You know, a few months back. If, if he knew what was coming, he would have clearly left, and I actually think he was strongly considering Syracuse. So it's actually interesting. Syracuse, we bumped into our top 25 and one this week because of the Andrew White transfer Andrew White doesn't ever end up there if Kavanaugh opts to leave George Washington and go play for the Orange. Instead, he stays back and he keeps GW interesting. It's not a bad, bad team by any means. Actually, I think they have some decent personnel, but now you just got a totally different dynamic this year. So just watching how that situation unfolds will be interesting because it is just so rare that you have a coach have to leave his post this close to the start of the season. So uh, we'll see how uh, Mojo does. He's, you know, 
He's about 30 years old, a uh, very young guy, and it's it's not an easy situation, but uh, but we'll keep an eye on it. So I went down to Oxford last week to sit down with Cullen Neal, who, of course, played at New Mexico for his father, Craig Neal, uh, and just sort of tell their story because um, it was a massive story in New Mexico. I don't know how big of a story it was nationally because I feel like his announcement that he was transferring like happened during the NCAA tournament, and it was just everything gets overshadowed during the NCAA tournament, but... You know, since releasing that initial statement, nobody had really talked to Craig Neal about it or talked to Cullen about it. And so I just went down to, hey, uh, I just thought it had all the ingredients for an interesting story. You know, a, a kid, Mr. Basketball in the state of New Mexico, uh, signs to play with his father's program, spends three years there, and it gets so ugly for so many different reasons that ultimately he and his dad both agree, you got to get out of here. And in a sport where... And I wrote this in the column in a sport where coaches routinely try to block and restrict transfers. Here you have a man uh, actually helping his son, who's a relevant player on his roster, transfer out um, of his own program uh, just because doing another year together with the kind of criticism that was coming from the community just wasn't going to be good uh, for anybody. And as far as I know, uh, he's the only player ever to sign to play with his father's program, be playing with his father, and then transfer out of the program while his father's still a coach. I don't think it's ever happened in the history of basketball. And so now he's at Ole Miss and seems happy. But just having him retell uh, you know, some of the stuff he went through, it, it was just sort of – our buddy Seth Davis tweeted this earlier. I mean, fans can really suck sometimes. And I, I certainly don't want to paint with a broad brush, but – from talking to Craig about it and talking to Cullen about it, you know, the criticism was multi-layered every time, which just made it impossible. In other words, when you're a college basketball coach and you lose games and you have an intense, passionate fan base like New Mexico's, um, it's, it's going to come at you and it's going to be hard. And if you're a player at a place like that and you don't play well, you know, turn it over late in games, miss too many shots, all, you know, play out of control, all that stuff, the criticism's going to come at you and that's hard. But for them... The criticism would come at Craig, and then they'd say, and your kid sucks too. Or or with Colin, the criticism would come at him, and, they, and then it would be compounded with, and the only reason you're playing as much as you're playing and shooting as much as you're shooting is because your dad's the coach. You wouldn't even be at this level if he wasn't. You suck, and so does your father. And it just became... It just became too much, like unbearable for both of them. What did you make of, not necessarily the story I wrote, but just the whole Cullen, Craig Neal uh, situation in general? Unusual, unfortunate, a little surprising that New Mexico's fan base would be that harsh on him. Um, it's a program that's, there's a lot of pride with that program, and I actually think it, its support and its relevance is maybe a little uh understated because it's maybe it's out west and people don't realize oh how yeah people care about that no in albuquerque and i had multiple people as i'm talking to folks about this story um you know i had multiple people tell me they treat new mexico basketball in albuquerque like like it's the nba team you know they they yeah. they, they treat it that way they think of it that way yeah it's it's definitely a really big deal there I I gotta believe that what you said is right. That there's never been a situation where a son is transferred off his team that his father was coaching. The one uh, I don't, I'm sure this popped in your head as you were kind of reporting out the story, GP, and all that. But the one situation that I found uh, was similar to this: the constant attacks that Neil was suffering was when Tubby coached at Kentucky and yeah. saw 
was running the team there, Wildcat fans were relentless uh, on him. And you talk about that area. I mean, that's kind of the epitome of it all. Um, I, I'm glad that he gets a new start here. And I actually think you got ahead of the curve because I actually think that he has a chance to be a pretty solid player uh, in AK's program down there. And it would be great to see him really thrive there. And if so, this becomes a, hey, look where he came from, look where he went through, and you got ahead of the eight ball, so to speak. More than eight, like, Noodles is a really good guy, and I'm glad that he and his son could kind of see what was happening here and kind of were looking out for the best for everyone in that regard. And Noodles kind of needs a big year, in my opinion, and New Mexico should be improved next season overall. But uh, They bring most everything back except Cullen. Yeah, exactly. And it's And the thing is, like, just because Cullen leaves doesn't mean that that's not going to, you know, it's, A isn't going to lead to B necessarily if, if suddenly they're really, really good. It's not going to be just total addition by subtraction in that kind of regard. But, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something of a cautionary tale because I don't – Bryce Alford gets this a little bit with UCLA. but I, I, think, think, I think he does. Too. I think Bryce I know, is going but I, th- I also think there's got to be a contingent of UCLA, UCLA fans that, that realize just, like, how much he does for that team. Now, that team – that roster is going to have a ton of talent this year. And it will be interesting with Lonzo Ball now being in the mix and running the offense, I would think, as well, how Bryce uh, adjusts to all of that. So no doubt about it, Alfred had to be tracking what was happening here with the Neal family and, and watching how that all unfolded. But, uh, yeah, it, we could have basically a repeat. No, Alfred's not going to transfer, but a repeat situation here where fans might be on him even harder this year at UCLA. But uh, but good on on noodles for having his son transfer because ultimately I think he and the family and, and both programs will be better for it. A couple of things I you know I've talked to because I knew at some point I wanted to go down to I you know, I don't live I live like forty five minutes from Oxford so I knew at some point I was going to go down there and um and do this story. By the way, um, I had never been to the pavilion, the new on campus arena at Ole Miss uh, because they opened it in January I think and. At the time they opened it, I was going. I was I was already back and forth to New York every week. I was basically going Monday through Thursday, and then on the weekends I was doing sideline on games, or I just need to spend time with our family. Uh, my wife was pregnant. Like I just never made it down there for a game, so I got to see the arena uh, for the first time last week. Man, like really, it's not the biggest college basketball in the arena, arena in the country. It's, it only holds about eighty five hundred, but. If you're talking about the like among the nicest, just beautiful, all the amenities, man, it is hard to beat it. It is really, really something. Like, uh, so like, really? uh, I mean, it's it is awesome. The, okay, that's a reversal because I've never because because the tad because like one of the worst. The, well, no, well, the tad pad, the Tad Smith Coliseum was like literally maybe the worst high major arena in the country. Like of Power Five leagues, it was the worst. Um, they had to practice like this was just a few years ago. They had to practice at a high school because there was a leak in the Ted Smith Coliseum. Like, it, I mean, it was just, uh, I mean, it was really, really bad, but man, they did this one, right? It is like, if you're an Ole Miss basketball fan, you've, uh, you, you should be proud of this. Cause it is a beautiful, beautiful on-campus arena. Um, and how about this? Did you realize this? I didn't realize this till, uh, the fine SID down there told me Andy Kennedy is the. Longest tenured SEC men's basketball coach now? Yes. Would you I have, did Would you have ever thought that? I bet he wouldn't have ever thought I that. Would. <laughs> I bet AK. A, I bet AK would have never thought that. Like, um, so he's sitting there as the elder statesman of the SEC. So I went down there. I knew I was going to go down and 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 do the story at some point. So I started talking to coaches, uh, just sort of about the dynamic of 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 trying to coach your son, 
And one of the things I, I, I heard, which I thought was a, a really good way to put it, it's an easy thing to do if your son is clearly your best player. Like if you're Greg McDermott and Doug McDermott. Very easy. He's your best player. He's like the best player in the country. That is going to be one of the most amazing experiences of your life. It's also easy and rewarding to do if your kid's the worst player on your team. Like if he's a walk-on. So you're not playing him. Nobody, he doesn't expect to play. You're not compelled to play him. Whatever. Where it gets difficult is if your kid's like the third or fourth best player on your team. Because if he happens to take the most shots in a game and you lose that game, it really gets ugly. You get into all nepotism conversations and coach's son's conversations. And, and that's, I think, essentially the, the, the scenario, situation that, that Noodles and Cullen ended up in. Like, uh, you know, Cullen was never going to be the best player at New Mexico. I, I think maybe when he enrolled there, they thought he could be someday. But, you know, as the, as the career unfolded, he just wasn't the best player, and yet he was still leading the team in shots every once in a while, leading the team in turnovers every once in a while. He's the primary ball handler. And when you're on a struggling team, when you have a struggling team and your kid's the primary ball handler and it's not going so well, like he's not living up to expectations, and you have a passionate fan base, like I think, I think that's all the ingredients for what we saw. Uh, that's actually a really good point because, yeah, it's it's definitely a fine line and an interesting balance that you've got to catch when you're coaching a kid. And if he's not the best player on the team, uh, you're dealing with a whole bunch of issues, both you know, within the team yep. and the guys looking about how you coach your son and the coach having to you know treat your son as a player. But at the same time, you never eliminate the fact that it's your son out there. So that's uh, well, the other thing. And, and I had a, a coach uh, you know, talk to me about this. He said. The other place that it causes a weird dynamic is, he said, I've been in every, you know, I've been in locker rooms, and this is a guy who's a successful coach. He said, he said, I know there are days when my players don't like me, when my players think I'm stupid, when my players think I'm not using them the right way. And so what do they do? They, they all get together, you know, either at somebody's apartment or in the locker room when I'm not around, and, and they're just complaining about me. Well, how do you do that? When the when the yeah. guys when the coach's son sitting right beside you, he said. So what ends up happening to like somebody like Cullen is he gets a little alienated from his teammates as well. They can't speak as freely as they might like to around him, and it just causes so many issues. So um, I was really appreciative of of, of Noodles and Cullen uh, for trusting me to tell their story and, and talking to me about it. They obviously didn't have to do that. And one interesting note um, that I put in the column that I didn't realize before I started working on it, you know. Andy Kennedy was the first coach Noodles reached out to when it became clear Cullen was going to transfer. And I was like, how long have you known AK? When AK was like a, a high school, like high-level player in Mississippi, he ended up going to NC State and then trans with Jim Vavano, and then he transferred to UAB with Gene Barto. But he took an official visit to Georgia Tech, and his host on his recruiting visit was, was Craig Neal. Yeah, I had no. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that that was – that's crazy. Yeah, I so, mean, you get that in college hoops sometimes. They're like – you won't even realize like every summer there's usually like two coaches I'll see sitting talking to each other and there you just have no idea that they're even connected. They're like, yeah, I've known him for like 17 years back when we did. And it's just like, what? Like the sports crazy connected in that kind of way. And I did not realize that, uh, that Neil and Kennedy were connected. Right. Like and AK also said that when he, when Mick Cronin left Bob Huggins staff at Cincinnati to go join Rick Pitino's staff at Louisville, one of the people who helped him get, in good graces with Hugs and get that job on that staff was Craig Neal. Craig picked up the phone and Craig had a relationship with Hugs that AK didn't have. 
but Craig, like, you know, put in a call for AK, and, and like, he credits him on some level for helping him, you know, get that break on Huck's staff, which leads to getting the uh, – uh, the Cincinnati job on an interim basis when Hugs got fired, which leads to him being in a position to look like a, a viable head coach and coaching uh, at Ole Miss for as long as he's been there. Now the other thing, and then we'll wrap this up and move on to one last thing I want to touch on that I, I thought was interesting. AK has a college-age daughter right now because we were talking about Craig and Cullen. He has a daughter who's in college right now. She goes to Samford in Birmingham, and it's by design. And I said, really? Like, you don't want her here? He said, like, I love being around my daughter. He said, but I just know what it's like. And I didn't want her life experiences to be tied to my life experiences. Like, I didn't want her college experience to be tied to the ups and downs of my coaching career. In other words, if I could promise you we were going to go to four straight NCAA tournaments and my daughter would get to experience that and walk around campus and people would be talking uh, fondly about her father, that'd be great. But, like, what happens when we – uh, missed the NCAA tournament and the NIT. And people are saying, Andy Kennedy's got to get fired and my daughter's on campus and she's got to hear all that. He was like, we, you know, like I just, I don't think he told her what to do, but like it, it intentionally she's not at Ole Miss because he didn't want his ups and downs to, to be her ups and downs, which I thought was a pretty uh, interesting point of view. I'd never heard of a coach put it quite like that. I think that's a good point and good decision by AK there. The, the last thing I want to get to before we get out of here is uh, we started a series that we're going to be doing uh, on recruiting among the, the major college basketball conferences. And basically what we've done is gone back and looked at uh, the top recruits uh, that each school in each league, top 10, I believe, uh, has uh, you know received national letters of intent from since the year 2000 because that's where the 24 7 uh, sports database goes back to it and so i started it this morning with the american athletic conference and it was interesting because um a realized you want to you know what one of the top 10 recruits uh for the university of cincinnati since the year 2000 was you know who it was i i only listen i know where you're going because you mentioned it in slack i had no idea this was the case but how perfect was this go ahead shout out to devin effing downy i'd forgot he Crazy. played his first year at cincinnati i never i have zero memory of devin downy a cincinnati uniform i forgot but yeah that's wild i forgot completely about it so i'm looking at top 10 recruits that cincinnati has signed since the year 2000 and it was like number six or number seven it's like devin downy i was like holy i was so excited to see his name so shout out to devin downy here's the but in the context of doing this i also took like a fresh look at what's happening in american athletic conference recruiting right now and it's not good how about this? In the class of 2016, only one school, Connecticut, had a top 50 recruiting class in the country. Now, Connecticut's was top 10, but nobody else was in the top 50. I think SMU was like 52. Okay. So you go, okay, but that's just one year. What's going on now? Class of 2017, right now. More than half of the top 100 players in the country have committed somewhere at this point. Still relatively early, but more than half of the players in the top 100 players have committed somewhere. You know how many top 100 players have committed to a American Athletic Conference school right now? I'll say one. One. Kid, top 35 kid going to Connecticut. No other American Athletic Conference school has a top 100 player committed at this moment in the class of 2017. And you might say, okay, but like, how does that compare to other leagues? Well, every Power 5 league blows that away, obviously. Like Auburn by itself blows that away. But uh, the Big East has more, way more than that. Uh, the Atlantic 10 has more than that. Uh, Western Kentucky by itself 
has more than that. And so it does look like for whatever reason, and I'm not sure that there's an easy explanation, but for whatever reason, like that, that league is not recruiting at a high level right now, and it'll probably start to show up in the form of a lack of NCAA tournament appearances sometime down the road. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that might be. I mean, UConn obviously is operating on its own yeah, level. Yeah, UCon- UConn's fine. Kevin Ollie has proven but, himself to be a, an I mean, established player getter. I, I mean, one simple, very simple explanation would be this offseason uh, – Two schools, Memphis and SMU, yes. lost established and accomplished recruiters. Like, you know, say what you want about Josh Pastner, but he consistently got players at Memphis. And say what you want about Larry Brown, but, you know, he was recruiting at an unprecedented level for SMU. And it doesn't mean that Tubby Smith and Tim Jankovic can't, you know, do as well or even better, but um, it's just not happening right now. Yeah, Cincinnati should be in there too, though. That's a little surprising. Yeah, yeah. Like, why isn't Cincinnati in there with the top 100 kid already? And they might get him. I just yeah. like if if the conversation on September 30th is how is the American Athletic Conference recruiting in the class of 2017 relative to the rest of the nation, to the rest of the other leagues that we consider basketball leagues, uh, not not good at all. That's the that's the truth. And I just I I think I had been aware of that on some level, but. The idea that there's only one, one top 100 kids committed to an AAC school right now, that was, um, I guess, it, it, it wasn't surprising to me because I sort of kept up with this, but it was surprising that it is the worst by far of the leagues we uh, routinely call basketball leagues. Uh, like I said, even the A-10, the Big East, Conference USA all have more than that right now. Top 100 recruits, class of t- 2017. So, uh, anyway, we'll see how that unfolds as signing day gets close. Let's get out of here. Remember... You can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way uh, to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. Till then, take care.